Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The launch of the BC vaccine card. It gives us that opportunity to do things in a way that is far closer to what existed before the COVID-19 pandemic. How to get it, where you'll need it, and when you'll start using it. More freedom for international travelers. The change to pandemic protocols that makes it easier to get into Canada. And the back-to-school rush begins. I don't know. I wish she was vaccinated, but she's too young still. So How parents, students, and teachers feel about returning to class. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. The B.C. government has just unveiled its COVID-19 vaccine passport system and already thousands are downloading their vaccine cards. By next Monday, you'll need proof of vaccination to get into ticketed events and thousands of non-essential businesses. But is it as easy as the government promised it would be? Richard Zussman has the details. The wait is over. This is what BC's vaccine card looks like. We all have to unite once again with a common purpose to see the BC vaccine card as a way to get to those places where we want to be. This is how you get your proof of immunization card online. Go to gov.bc.ca slash vaccine card. Provide a personal health number, date of birth, and the date of either your first or second COVID shot. The QR code can then be saved to your phone by getting a screen grab or be printed. If you don't have access to a computer, you can visit a Service BC office or call 1-833-838-2323. And it's very simple. I know many people tried today, as did I, uh, to enter in uh, some basic information and a card will come up. Starting September 13th, vaccine cards are required. And to get one, you must have received at least one dose. From September 13th to 26th, you can use the vaccine card you got from the clinic or pharmacy. Starting September 27th, it's only the BC vaccine card. And by October 14th, you must be at least one week removed from receiving two doses. If you choose not to be immunized, then there is ways that you can support your local restaurants by continuing to do takeout by participating in outdoor exercise activities or um, online activities, as well as watching your favorite Canucks game on TV. And this is where it applies. Sporting events, indoor concerts, theaters, dance, symphony, licensed restaurants, and those offering table service, both indoor and out, bars, pubs, nightclubs, movie theaters, and casinos, gyms, indoor group exercise, organized events with more than 50 people, and rec classes and activities. It's not needed at fast food joints, coffee shops, cafeterias, and food courts, nor is it needed at religious gatherings. Essential services like schools, hospitals, and workplaces are exempt, as well as anyone under the age of 12. The road back continues to be long and challenging. The BC vaccine card is a welcome milestone on the way. Without the card, 
optional discretionary social recreational events and activities might have needed even more restrictions and measures than what we have in place today. Any adult over the age of 18 will have to show ID along with their vaccination card. If you're under 18, you do not. The province is hoping that this measure will ensure that they can get rid of capacity limits at theatres and anywhere else by October 24th. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And here's why the province says it's necessary. There are four days of COVID-19 numbers to share. Over the long weekend, we gained another 2,425 new cases. Our active case number is just over 5,400. Hospitalizations are up with 255 patients, 126 of those in the ICU. And 15 more people have died from complications of the virus. Also, 78.5% of people 12 and older are now fully vaccinated in B.C. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria for us tonight. Keith, there are still places in this province where vaccination rates are lagging far behind. Yeah, and that's why the vaccination card is probably going to have a different type of impact in different places around B.C. Metro Vancouver and the capital region, we have very high vaccination rates. In many cases, over 90% first dose. It's a different story once you get into the interior and the north. I've shown these, these cities before in terms of low vaccination numbers. They remain low. Dawson Creek, not even 60%. More than 5,400 people there yet to be vaccinated. Fort St. John nearby, 64%, more than 6,000 people. Williams Lake, Nelson, just barely over 70%, more than 6,700 people there. And also, Metro Vancouver does have its pockets of low vaccination. North Chilliwack, 70.6%, more than 12,000 people there waiting to get their first dose. Again, I'll leave you with a couple more numbers, Chris. In the last four days, 242 people went into hospital. Almost half of those people were in the interior, almost all of them unvaccinated. On a happier note, 108, as of 5 o'clock today, 181,993 people had already downloaded or created the vaccination card. That's a huge uptake on a day when there was long waiting lists, uh, waiting queue times upwards of 45 minutes, still almost 200,000 people getting the vaccination card on its first day. Hopefully those numbers continue to improve in the days ahead. No doubt. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Among the other questions raised by the new vaccine card system, what about visitors to BC who can't download the BC card? And perhaps more important for businesses, will they get support in dealing with militant anti-vaxxers who refuse to go along and are determined to make trouble? Amadagahi has that part of the story. You cannot hear it from the street, but behind closed doors, the BC vaccine card and its looming impact are dominating conversations between staff, owners and operators of BC restaurants and bars. You know, being six days out and, and having to kind of rebuild how your business operates on a day-to-day and, and educate your staff and work with people to make sure that they feel comfortable, you know, checking these cards. Simon Fallick is an owner at the American Bar on Main Street in Vancouver, and he's not the only business owner who feels there was critical information about the program they were desperate for many days ago. This is a pretty quick rollout. It doesn't feel like it's fully fleshed out. It doesn't feel like there's a lot that as operators and staff you can go and take a look at. There's not a lot of educational components. The overwhelming majority support the idea of serving and welcoming vaccinated people in. 
They're just not sure how difficult turning away the unvaccinated will be. If you are concerned about it, if you're angry about it, do not take it out on that business. This is an order that they have to comply with, and we're going to be supporting people to doing that in the most efficient way possible. On Tuesday, some restaurants told us they feel it should be the province's job to check and enforce proof of vaccination at the door, leaving their already shorthanded staff to focus on hospitality because some cannot afford to hire staff just to scan people's phones. The premier then appeared to hint that help on that front may be on the way. If there are additional costs or, or, or challenges with the vaccine card, we stand ready to assist both uh, frontline workers and businesses. When it comes to tourists, people visiting from outside the province and country, they will have to comply with BC's vaccine card program as well. The province saying it will have records of vaccination status belonging to people living outside BC, and that information will be shared with businesses here. Emadagahi, Global News. Despite rising COVID numbers, Canada is welcoming back international travelers today. It's a potential boost to a tourism sector that's faced a one-two punch of the pandemic and wildfires this summer. Global's Kamal Karamali is live at YVR for us tonight. And Kamal, many visitors happy the quarantine requirement is essentially gone. Yeah, Chris, no longer having to quarantine for 14 days as long as you can show proof that you're fully vaccinated. And we met a lot of people who had been waiting months to return to beautiful British Columbia. International travelers rolling into YVR by the hundreds Tuesday, a day many have been eagerly waiting for for months. I think it's a special day. The travel restrictions lifting just in the nick of time for Vincent Bontagon. He doesn't have two weeks to quarantine. Tomorrow will be my um, sister's wedding here. I got lucky that Canada reopened. From siblings to star-crossed lovers, Stephen Ackersdick flew in from the Netherlands to see his girlfriend. It's been a long wait. I haven't seen my girlfriend for about two months, so it's absolutely amazing to, to be here now. It's awesome. I'm very, very happy. <laughs> International travelers who are fully vaccinated are now allowed onto Canadian soil without having to quarantine for 14 days, as long as they show a negative COVID-19 test before departure and upload their full vaccination status on the ArriveCan app. But showing proof upon arrival may require some patience. We are seeing transactions for about 60 to 90 minutes per person, depending on if they're a foreign national coming in or a Canadian resident returning home. The question now is where will all these travelers flock to in BC? <laughs> Businesses hoping the international floodgates opening means they'll be flushed with cash soon enough. Much cooler weather up here than back home. In a typical year, more than half of Whistler's visitors are from outside Canada. They're expecting a slow return of international tourists. We do anticipate that it's going to take some time for our international markets to rebound. And we know that the vaccine and testing requirements are going to remain hurdles for some. But continued concern with many industries having to lay off staff during the pandemic will they have the supply to meet the demand? We are seeing a massive problem with just staffing up in general for, for the hospitality industry. Back to the issue of travel again, Kamal. There are still some restrictions in place when it comes to international travel. Any word on when that will change? 
Yeah, Chris, so Canada still has a ban on direct flights from India until September 21st. You'll remember that was initially put into place to try and curb the highly contagious Delta variant. Now, the new loosening of these restrictions, they do not override that ban and no word yet on whether it will be extended past September 21st. We also know, Chris, that uh, the land co uh, crossings between uh, from Canada to U.S., uh, that is still in place. Uh, the ban is still in place there until at least September 21st. Back over to you. All right. Dates to be aware of for sure. Thanks very much, Kamal. Plenty of excitement and some nervous jitters, of course, as B.C. students head back to school after the summer break. And as Andrea McPherson reports, while there are some COVID concerns, those we spoke with were thrilled to be back. Smiles, waves and face coverings ahead of the first bell of the day as many students across the province fasten their masks, sanitize their hands and settle in for another pandemic school year in British Columbia. It's a little easier going back this year. We had lots of practice last year. So. Yeah. Hopefully. I don't know. I wish she was vaccinated, but she's too young still. So Most remote learning options are out as full-time in-person learning is in. So they're going to see a lot of things the same, but I think the biggest difference for parents is their students being able to, to go across cohorts and meet their friends and to gather in larger numbers. Something many kids miss dearly, being able to see and interact with their schoolmates. I'm excited to make new friends. Yeah and learn new stuff. Still a little bit sad that I still have to wear a mask. This year, masks are mandatory for staff and students grades 4 through 12, recommended for kids in kindergarten through to grade 3. Daily health checks are also back, but what's not returning is exposure notices unless your child has had immediate contact with a person infected with COVID-19. What we haven't been told is what's going to replace them. So what's really important is that the public understand what's happening in schools. There needs to be a public accounting for the, you know, the amount of COVID cases in schools, the clusters, the outbreaks and that sort of thing. And so we don't know right now what that's going to look like exactly. And that's disconcerting. But these parents are taking it all in stride as the BC Teachers Federation voices concern over the more transmissible Delta variant and children too young to receive a vaccine. As a parent, I was concerned about his safety for sure. And also the cases are rising. Seems everything's getting back to normal and uh, getting a little bit more control on stuff. So well, she's still wearing her PPE in class and everything's under control at school. She's pretty excited to get back, aren't you? Yeah. Andrea McPherson, Global News. It began with a simple request to check a SkyTrain passenger's ticket, but it turned into an all-out brawl involving transit police. The hearing taking a closer look at the actions of the officers involved 10 years after it happened. Next on the News Hour. A lost BC hiker ends up in a slippery situation. The daring rescue to save him coming up later on the News Hour. And a group of paddleboarders pushed way off course, plucked from the water by VPD. How they got into such terrible trouble. That's not them, by the way, but we'll show you the group that got into trouble. Anyway. All right, now a public hearing has resumed for two transit police officers who got into a brawl with a 22-year-old UBC student at a Vancouver SkyTrain station a decade ago. The pair have already been dealt with in the courts, but the matter still continues under the Police Act. First, a warning, some of these images might be disturbing. Here's Ramina. Blow after blow, transit police officer Constable Edgardo Diaz delivers 
10 baton strikes to the victim. I just got hit so many times that I thought I was going to get like beaten to death. The UBC students' CFL dreams crushed that day, 10 years ago. He was 22 years old. He cannot be identified. Constable Diaz at a public hearing Tuesday as witness testimony continues into the decade-old incident. Retired transit officer Manel Bentley on scene August 10, 2011, when she snapped these images of injuries to the victim's head. Bentley now testifying she saw Diaz deliver two baton strikes. She told the hearing the victim did not make any aggressive gestures to police and he did not strike the officers. But when questioned by defense, she agreed the victim appeared to resist arrest and that her first impression was a very large man trying to flee from police. The trigger for the takedown at Rupert Sky train station, an unpaid fare. The victim, who did not have a criminal record, claimed he provided his full name, but officers believed it was fake, so they arrested him. Do you regret that night? Constable Diaz was suspended with pay under the Police Act. There were also criminal proceedings in which Diaz pleaded guilty to assault causing bodily harm. He was sentenced to 12 months probation. He's still working with transit police. Criminal charges against Diaz's partner, former Transit Constable Michael Hughes, were stayed. He quit the force in 2012. Constable Hughes's seat surprisingly empty at Tuesday morning's proceedings. The public hearing notified Hughes has no intention of participating. It's unclear how this will affect the decade-long process, which continues Wednesday. Romina Dea, Global News. Just ahead, a local climber who left others in awe. You have to learn how to read the signals that the mountains are sending you. The new documentary showcasing his skill in the most challenging conditions and his tragic disappearance later. But first, countdown to the call, the latest on controlling the Stanley Park coyote population. Crash in Vancouver, McGill at Renfrew has eastbound out to one lane, north and southbound restricted almost completely and westbound just moving a little bit slower. It's time to fall into savings at Chevrolet. Right now, get 0.99% financing for up to 60 months on the 2022 Trailblazer. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. In Global One, I'm Tim Maine. Unbelievable scene in New York City. Events that shocked us. Secret data collection. Technology that changed us. I think it's fake news. It was fake news. A possible epidemic. Disruption. 20 years of Global National. Friday, September 10th at 10 on Global. Some hard lessons were learned by a hiker who spent a chilly night lost on a North Shore mountain. The hiker got separated from two friends while out for a day hike near Lions Bay Monday. You can see him clinging to the cliff here. It wasn't until late this morning that he was located in a river drainage on a steep rock face right next to a waterfall. He was injured and hypothermic, but otherwise okay. Rescuers say he made a number of mistakes, including not staying put when he realized he was lost. I think the key point here is that we asked him what he, you know, what his plan was, and he said his plan was to go down. And of course, we said you don't go down in BC's mountains, 
and he had planned today to continue and he was over a very scary drop. We've had people trapped and even die just below that location. Rescuers say people should either stay put or head up rather than down if they get lost in the mountains and need rescue. A call of Stanley Park Coyotes is set to begin as early as tonight. The Ministry of Forests, which will be overseeing the operation, says the animals will be captured by non-lethal means by professional trappers. Wildlife officials say the animals will be humanely killed. The trapping program is expected to take about two weeks. Given the habituated nature of these coyotes, the ministry says relocation was not an option. Since last year, Stanley Park coyotes attacked 45 people, five of them children. Now to the federal election with the leaders making their pitches on issues like tackling climate change, the housing crisis and costly wireless services. But angry protesters are not letting up, causing disruptions on the campaign trail. Global's Miranda Ann Thistle reports. The holiday Monday didn't deter angry protesters from showing up at a Liberal campaign stop in London, Ontario and throwing gravel at leader Justin Trudeau. Police are now investigating and every party is condemning this behaviour that has become a constant disruption during campaigning. It's completely unacceptable to see harassment of political figures, of media. We live in a great democracy and let's act like we do. We've got to assess the security before we do an event. Uh, sadly, because of people like this who are causing a real threat to the media that comes with us on the tour, to our, our volunteers, to our staff, to our team. Uh, this cannot happen. Trudeau isn't backing down. He says he'll continue to stand up and defend everyone who has chosen to get vaccinated. I am inspired by those people who continue to do the right thing in the face of anti-vaxxer mobs who are not respecting the basic science and the basic decency that Canadians have rightly come to expect from each other. While the Liberals are in Montreal promising to double the first-time homebuyer's tax credit and implement a tax-free first-home savings account, the main focus of the questions was on the safety and security at their campaign stops. A few misguided individuals who don't believe in science, who just want to watch things burn, are not going to make us flinch from doing the right thing. Thing. based on our plan. In Ottawa, the Conservatives are promising to make Canada's wireless provider industry more competitive by allowing foreign companies in the market. Canada's Conservatives will stand up to corporate Canada and reject mergers that substantially reduce competition and lead to layoffs and higher prices. Meanwhile, the New Democrats are hoping to make a big impact in the fight against climate change by doubling the funds allocated for public transit to 4.4 billion dollars. Electrify the fleets, make it more affordable and accessible for communities to access public transit and make sure that we do our part to reduce our emissions. Miranda Anthesol, Global News. Just ahead, the terror organization trying to rebrand itself. Why the new Taliban looks just like the old Taliban. And what's missing from the new government. Also, how the VPD Marine Squad jumped in to save a bunch of paddle boarders blown way off course. A crash at McGill and Renfrew has been cleared away, but fire crews still on scene. So one lane eastbound, north and southbound restricted, only able to turn onto McGill, it seems. And westbound, 
one lane lost there turning south onto Renfrew while they figure out uh, how to clean it all up, I suppose. It's time to fall into savings at Chevrolet. Right now, get 0.99% financing for up to 60 months on the 2022 Trailblazer. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. In Global One, I'm Tim Bain. 23 days after seizing power in Afghanistan, the Taliban formally announced some key members of an interim government. The group, still labeled a terrorist organization by Canada, wants to be seen as legitimate rulers and not insurgents. But as Europe Bureau Chief Crystal Gumansingh reports, those named are members of the old Taliban guard. Mullah Mohammed Hassan Akant is the new prime minister of the recently renamed Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. In unveiling a few key players of the caretaker administration, the Taliban spokesperson says it is looking for a new start. But many of the players are not new. The PM, for example, was the deputy PM during the Taliban's rule in the 1990s. The Taliban's spokesperson says the defense minister is Mullah Mohammed Yaqub, the son of the Taliban's founder. Sarajuddin Haqqani is the interior minister. He is on the FBI's most wanted list and is a son of the founder of the Haqqani Network, a terrorist organization that has since been folded into the Taliban. After the Taliban swept the country, seizing control in August, Western nations have been waiting to see if the new regime would be inclusive, a sign it's moved away from the brutality it once used to rule Afghans. Satisfying that foreign expectation is seen as key in freeing up billions of dollars in aid. No women were named in the new government and fears remain about how women and girls will be treated. Taliban members physically attacked and intimidated protesters, including women recently, in Kabul. The government is subject to the oversight of the Taliban's supreme leader, Hepitola Akunzadeh. The international community has repeatedly said it will judge the Taliban on its actions, not its promises. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, London. Another big step today in the restoration of that iconic totem pole on the lawn of the B.C. legislature in Victoria. A crane has raised the knowledge totem back onto its stand after 10 weeks on the ground for the restoration process. The totem was created back in 1990 by master carver Cicero August to commemorate the Commonwealth Games. The 10-week restoration, led by his son Doug, who helped with the original carving, along with his family and students. August says the new improved totem is now what his father actually envisioned. We had eight months to carve it originally, but they gave us three months. So basically what was presented before was just the basic designs and the colors. With the restoration work when it was down, first time it's been down in 31 years, now we've got the actual designs that my late father wanted. So he's probably really happy by now. The restoration made all the more poignant by the fact that Cicero August died of COVID-19 in April. A full ceremony to officially unveil the restored totem is scheduled for Friday. In Health Matters tonight, a young student wants everyone to know the signs of depression, especially because it doesn't always look the way many assume. 
with a person being sad or distant. Global's Kendra Slagoski has more on how he hopes to educate others and hopefully save some lives. Rashank Saini is 17 and starting his first year of university. A few years ago, something happened, something he'll never forget. I went to school with a student who later committed suicide. She was really happy. She was she was really energetic and she had a bunch of friends. She was on a bunch of teams and yeah, she was really an outgoing person and we were ill-informed about what depression looked like. That is one of the reasons Saini developed the free app Bioscope Wellness. It's a mental health check-in with a self-assessment. It provides the number for the crisis and suicide prevention helpline, and it's a platform to learn more about mental health. You can be connected to a group chat where you can chat with other people facing the same adversity that you are. Saini fears the pandemic is pushing more young people to their breaking point. Preliminary numbers show suicide deaths are down, but crisis calls have increased. I think it's fair to say that most crisis centers are reporting a lot of COVID calls. Children's hospitals have reported more admissions following suicide attempts. The Center for Suicide Prevention is asking everyone to look for changes in behavior either way. What's going on? Are you thinking of suicide? Which is a very difficult question to ask. But if we say the word, they don't have to. Saini believes starting that conversation will save lives. Depression can hit anybody at any time. Kandrush Lagoski, Global News. Coming up, counting up the losses from Hurricane Ida. It's not like the storm miraculously flew over us and didn't touch us. The devastated city angry it was left off the emergency declaration list. And Canada's tennis phenom Leila Fernandez still having a lot of fun at the U.S. Open with another brilliant performance. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It's been more than a week since Hurricane Ida slammed into the U.S. Gulf Coast, decimating some communities before carving a path of destruction about 2,100 kilometers long. Power is still out for residents in the south and the northeast. While the cleanup effort brings into better focus the devastation for so many, Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. Six days after Ida buried parts of the American Northeast under a month's worth of rain, the water might be gone, but so too are the livelihoods of residents caught in the storm's path. The losses uh, that we witnessed today are profound. Much like he did in the hard-hit South, President Biden toured devastated neighborhoods, including Manville, New Jersey, where the before and after photos speak to the losses endured, and New York, where so many died in inescapable basement apartments. This was fast and focused, getting us the help we need, no hesitation. But help hasn't been handed out equally. It's not like the storm miraculously flew over us and didn't touch us. The White House is now looking to add other counties and cities, trying to put the pieces back together to the emergency declaration list. We're all in this together and we've got to uh, make sure that we don't leave any community behind. And it's all across the country. While the Northeast takes much of the focus, in the South, moving forward is an arduous task. Around 40% of New Orleans still has no power. It's 50% statewide, under a blistering summer sun. There's no way they can live without power. Uh, it's too hot. 
among the victims from a rising death toll, residents from evacuated nursing homes labeled as in poor condition. We're going to call it what it is. And it was negligence. The National Guard remains on scene, handing out supplies to the desperate. It's all become a rallying cry for better infrastructure and a closer eye on climate change. These storms are now more frequent. They're more intense. We have to have be able to have a serious, honest discussion about what we do with places that we know are so vulnerable. Experts say mitigation can't be the only solution, but note that time isn't on most people's side, many of whom are still processing the most recent destruction. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. And that storm scraped across parts of Canada, eastern Canada as well. Christie's out in the sunshine right now, though, with a beautiful evening. But, yeah, that was a massive storm. That's exactly right, Chris. And we're keeping an eye on another storm. It's Hurricane Larry, which is currently a Category 3. Now, it's way off in the Atlantic right now, but it is going to track north over the next several days, just skirting the edge of Bermuda. That is one area we'll be watching on Wednesday, but making its way towards uh, Newfoundland, potentially making landfall. There are some discrepancies as to the track of it because it is days away, but potentially by Friday night into Saturday, we could see it impact eastern Canada. This was the day today, though, in Whistler. Stunning pictures from all around the south coast and the uh, southern parts of the province where temperatures soared. We saw 32 degrees in Lytton, 31 in Kamloops, the Soyuz. And in Port Alberni, 30 degrees, but with humidity, it was like 33. And many areas away from the water, Pitt Meadows, Abbotsford, here in the lower mainland, felt like 30 degrees today. That won't be the case tomorrow. Now, a lot of kids have their full, full day of school tomorrow, so make sure you pack a rain jacket. And especially through the morning hours, you'll need it. In the interior, it's just a chance of showers. But even in the afternoon hours for areas across the central coast and west coast of Vancouver Island, you'll continue with rainfall, whereas Metro Vancouver, Victoria, and Nanaimo will likely see breaks of blue sky. So things certainly turn around as the kids are heading out of school in the afternoon hours, but a wet start to the day, that's for sure. So there's your Wednesday, everyone. Most areas in the interior will be dry, but we have a very slight chance of showers in through your region. Majority of the showers will be across the south coast, easing to breaks of blue sky for Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley, but not so much for areas north of Nanaimo. Thursday also looking unsettled with cloud and a chance of showers, but it's Friday that will clear out with sunshine expected and over the weekend so far a bit iffy, but it looks like we could be holding strong with a mix of sun and cloud. Tonight's central windows weather window is from the North Barrier or Barriere Lake, which is uh, sent to us by Janice. She said she was enjoying the last bit of of summer as uh, they were just sort of capping off their long weekend. What a stunning location. Thanks so much, Janice. Nice way to end it for sure. All right, thank you very much, Christy. A frightening experience for a group of paddle boarders who got caught up in high winds in English Bay on Monday. Police say 30 paddle boarders tried to cross from Jericho Beach to Ambleside in West Vancouver in high winds and a strong current. It happened around 3 p.m. 17 of them, not those guys, but 17 of them got pushed into treacherous conditions near the Lionsgate Bridge. A Port Authority tugboat spotted them in trouble and called in the rescue. This is a group that was admittedly uh, fairly new to paddleboarding. They likely didn't take into consideration the, uh, the wind, the waves, the current and all of the elements and as a result of this a number of them ended up in a situation that was uh, uh, very risky could have ended tragically had they not been spotted uh, when they were
Glad they are all okay. Okay, Squire joins us now as we look ahead to uh, sports and with vaccine passports, people talking about packing into Rogers Arena sometime soon, hopefully. Well, it'd be nice to see a lot of fans at Rogers Arena. Um, that'll, of course, uh, I guess happen in October. We'll see. Uh, one of the new Canucks is Jason Dickinson, who uh, could be a shutdown center for Vancouver. I'm going to be a reliable player that they know they can count on, uh, a guy that can go out there at any moment in any game. And if he can be that defensive center, it should take a load off of Bo Horvat this coming season. Look forward to that, Squire. Also tonight, the spotlight on a gifted local climber who vanished doing what he loved in the worst conditions with no ropes. On tonight's sportscast, we say privet to Squire and dos vidanya to Jake Vertanen. Okay. That's the only Russian I know. I'm going to look it up on my translator app on the <laughs> phone. Uh, Jake Vertanen is no longer shotgun Jake. He's now Kalishnikov Jake after signing a one-year contract with Spartak Moscow of the KHL. This, of course, is a couple of months after the Canucks bought him out of his contract following uh, sexual misconduct allegations, which Vertanen has denied. And even though he was a free agent, no NHL team made him an offer. He will try to revive a career that never lived up to the promise of a sixth overall draft pick. There were times it looked like he would break through and become a regular, but those moments never lasted very long. The plan is obviously, if he can have a good season in Russia, maybe that'll spark interest from an NHL team next year. But of course, the outcome of the allegations against Jake will also play a big part in that as well. And while Vertanen heads to Russia, the Canucks' top Russian prospect is here in Vancouver. Vasily Podkolzin, that's who you're watching. He's out for a pre-training camp workout. Wasn't too comfortable trying out his English for an interview, but that's okay. It's good to know he is here. He's uh, ready for training camp, which starts September 23rd in Abbotsford. He's expected to make the big team right away, maybe even as high as a second-line winger for Bo Horvat. And uh, Jake Vertanen's old number 18 is being worn by newcomer Jason Dickinson, who should be Vancouver's third-line center and take some of the checking load off of Bo Horvat this season. Dickinson, of course, was acquired in a trade with Dallas to be a shutdown center. And the great thing is, he loves that role. Um, my biggest thing is uh, I'm going to be hard to play against. You know, I, I might not be the flashiest guy out there, but it's going to be somebody that uh, other team's players don't want to be out against. It's a style of game Jason Dickinson learned while he played in Dallas, where he got Stanley Cup final experience against Tampa last year. One of those things that, about Dallas, you know, every team was like, yeah, you guys are so hard to play against, you don't give up anything. You know, I want to bring that to this team. I want to be that guy that brings that kind of mentality, that kind of uh, uh, motivation to, to play hard in your own end and be just as hard in the offensive end. And despite being traded from the only NHL team he's ever played for, Dickinson was very glad it was the Canucks who made a deal with Dallas. Oh, it's a beautiful city. The team is ready to go. Um, got to get back in the playoffs this year, start winning games and um, you know, I got to do my part to help get the team there. Um, you see the young core that's been built here and they're ready to go. It's, 
it's uh, it's an exciting time for this organization that they've got the key players that they do right now. You got Pedersen, you've got Hughes, you got Bo. You know these guys are core players that are still young and they got a lot of hockey ahead of them. Layla Annie Fernandez in the semifinals at the U.S. Open. Another upset today over Alina Svitolina. Let's watch some of her points. She just never gives up. At the net. Nice. This is in the first set. She would win the first set. She lost the second set. But in the first set, we'll give you one more point. On the baseline. Doesn't matter. Short shot. She can get that. And Svitolina goes wide. Okay, so they would go to a tie break in the third set. But the young lady from Montreal, this doesn't freak her out. You think it might, but it doesn't. Here's an example, right down the line. That was set up match point. Here it is. Turn 19 yesterday. And she is in, yes, they did. There's her mom. There's the family box. Dad, the coach, is actually back home. He's not at the tournament itself. So she is in the final four. And we're uh, going to watch uh, Felix Auger-Aliassim. He's playing his quarterfinal match tonight as well. Uh, Canada's men's soccer team is going to have to play tomorrow night's game against El Salvador without their best player. Alfonso Davies has a leg injury. He has flown back to Germany to have Bayern Munich's doctors take a look at him. They're not saying what the injury is yet, but it was suffered against the U.S. on Sunday. And it was an injury that didn't seem to have an obvious moment when it happened. But he was in obvious pain because of it. Uh, where he grabbed right below his knee. That's where the injury was. There is no official diagnosis yet. Uh, without him, Canada won't be as dynamic offensively. Davies has been the guy opposition players have a real problem containing with his speed and skill, so Canada's depth will be tested without him. Uh, the Whitecaps' next game is Friday against Portland at home, a chance to stretch their unbeaten streak to 11 games. The uh, streak started under Mark DeSantos and has continued with interim head coach Vanny Sartini, who likely won't get the full-time job as coach, but this guy's enthusiasm for the job as an interim head coach is fun to watch, and it rubs off on the players. Oh, we apparently don't have the clip. Well, he was very excitable and was very happy to have the job. So take it from me, Vanny is glad he's doing what he's doing. Paraphrasing very accurately, I'm certain. Well, that, I, it yeah. was actually much better the way he said it, but... <laughs> We'll get it on. Gremlins tonight. We have gremlins. We'll get it on later broadcast for sure. Thanks very much, Squire. Okay. Up next, I think, a new documentary about a BC climber who vanished at the peak of his game. He was widely considered one of the best climbers in the world at the time of his disappearance in 2018. BC climber Marc-Andre Leclerc, known for his bold ascents, pushing the limits of some of the world's most iconic peaks. Now a new documentary on Leclerc's life is set to be released, and Jay Durant has more from his family and friends on what made him so special. The Alpinist is the story of a young man who's regarded as one of the most gifted climbers of his generation. Agassiz's Marc-Andre Leclerc's reputation as a free soloist through harsh environments gained the respect of everyone in the sport. His comfortability in, in, in large 
mountain terrain will be something that, that we will continually wonder, I think. A climber has gone missing. In 2018, LeClaire and his climbing partner Ryan Johnson disappeared after a successful summit in Alaska. He was only 25. But his achievements prior to that fateful journey caught the attention of some of the world's top climbers. What I'm doing is on rock, and then I see Marc-Andre free soloing on ice and snow. He was very quiet about what he did. Many of Marc-Andre's ascents were out of the spotlight. He never sought fame and shied away from all the attention. He was clearly unaccustomed to being in front of the camera. As he started doing bigger and bigger things, the news and his want to let people know kind of came down. You have to learn how to read the signals that the mountains are sending you. He lived quietly, he lived humbly, um, he lived according to his own set of ethics, and he treated people well. And I think that's probably what I most had it. LeClaire's legacy lives on in this film. Those he was closest to take some comfort knowing that now, with the attention that the alpinist is expected to generate, more people will know Marc-Andre's story and his incredible accomplishments. I miss the guy every day, yeah. And I really appreciate everything that he taught me. And That's just another day out. <laughs> A really good day out. Holy smokes! Jay Durant, Global News. Hard to imagine. Well, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that you'd like to share, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. An amazing young man, gone too soon. I don't, I'm impressed by that, obviously, but I just don't get it. Well, as a, as a guy like yourself, who is not a big fan of heights. I can understand <laughs> I will that. climb up on the counter in my kitchen, and that's about as far as I'll go. <laughs> Call me if you need to reach those high places. I actually, uh, yeah, you are very handy that way. <laughs> I'm good that way. Hey, listen, uh, now that we got uh, Christy here, before we leave it tonight, a big congratulations to our Sonia Sunger and her husband Chris on their newest arrival. Meet baby Sohana, born September 5th, 7.22 p.m., weighing 7 pounds, 11 ounces. She's as cute as her parents. Sonia and Chris say grateful <laughs> doesn't even begin to sum up how they feel about the newest member of their family of four. And big brother Hugo is also pretty excited about his new little sister. So we wish them all the very best. Enjoy <laughs> that maternity leave. She is so... The baby looks like she's smiling already. Yeah. Mm. Just like her mom. <laughs> All right, uh, Christy, we'll give you the last word on weather before we go here. Sure, so the kids will need a rain jacket as they're heading to school tomorrow with a chance of showers, but it will ease in the afternoon for some sunshine. All right, I hope your boys had a good first day. I know mine did too. And to everybody else, have a great year at school. Have a good night. <laughs>